Welcome to Tripping Over the Barrel, a series that highlights the unique personalities within the oil and gas industry and the stories they have to share with your hosts and lead storytellers, Tilo and Dr. Funkenstein. Tim, I told you I was going to ask you this question, so I'm just going to ask it. What is your favorite TV show of all time? So I'm a little bit, I've got a little bit of recency bias here. I've been watching Friends reruns from the 90s, you know, for the last several months, just kind of in rerun. And that, that's got to be probably my, my number one. We got to go for a drama, modern. I really like Blue Bloods. I watch that quite a bit. So there's a reason why I asked that question. But Friends. Okay, so Friends, shout out Brandeis University, my alma mater, Waltham, Massachusetts. It was actually based on uh, a coffee shop where a bunch of Brandeis kids hung out. And then they moved to New York and, and created Friends. So it's, it's loosely based on Brandeis, I think written by Brandeis people. Wow. That's you don't get I many Brandeis you. references. No, you don't. No, not in oil and gas. You don't get many Brandeis people either. So, <laughs> but, but this is why I wanted to ask. And, and Barry Barksdale, who's who's kind enough to join us from his villa in Nantucket, I'm going to ask you the same question. Uh, but the reason why I asked him is because my favorite show of all time is called The Wire. Have you guys seen The Wire? I've seen one episode. No. And the reason I thought about this is because there's one of the main characters in The Wire. His name is Avon Barksdale. So as we were coming into this, I'm like, okay, there's a there's a Barksdale tie. But one of my favorite lines in The Wire is is from a guy named Omar. And Omar was this basically his job was to rob drug dealers. Long story short, you need to have some context. It's a Baltimore streets type show. And uh Omar, actually, one of his famous lines, which I think is applicable, ap- applicable to today, is, if you come at the king, you best not miss. And Mr. Barksdale, you, sir, may be the king of data and data aggregation and oil and gas. How about that? Wow. Wow. <laughs> you should get out more often. <laughs> Probably should have warned him you were going to go at him with the king bit. Well, but there he is, man. So, You're very... very You've had a couple minutes to think about it. What's your favorite TV show of all time? Well, yeah, it's not going to be impressive. I mean, I truly, I can sit there and flip. I, I got the worst case OCD on the planet Earth. And <laughs> so I flip around and I can sit there and watch episode after episode after episode of Seinfeld and Friends, too. I mean, it's right. just stupid humor. I mean, it's it's nice relaxing. Like I said, I don't watch TV, so... Um, but I can sit and watch those for a long time. Yeah. I found those kind of shows you have so little investment. You can just pick them up in the middle at the end. You know, you can just pick them up and just go with it. You don't need to invest in any backstory to just start watching it. Man. I remember early nineties, my dad just, just cackling like a hyena out there watching Seinfeld. And uh, of course it became one of my favorite shows. So anyways, off of the TV topic and, and on to Mr. Barry Barksdale. Barry, you were highly recommended uh, to come on this podcast from uh, a big fan of the podcast and a recent guest, Kevin Decker, the man. And he said that you'd be able to provide great insight around what you've done with PDS, kind of what you do in the oil and gas industry. So if you could give us a little bit of your history, where did you grow up? Uh, how'd you get into the industry and, and what is PDS? Uh, I've been in Austin since I was five years old and um, never really considered anything other than going to UT 
went to UT, moved to Houston when I got out of school because my brother had gone down there and got an oil business and had done pretty well with it. And so I went and uh, unfortunately, um, when uh, I got out of school, um, geologists were commanding about the same as people swinging off the back of BFI trucks. And, uh, <laughs> I landed in the panhandle doing land work and pipeline right away work. And just so that was kind of my introduction and uh, learning, which, uh, you know, baptism by fire, there's that's where you get it. But um, and then, you know, went through a series of different things in the industry and found myself looking for a second nickel to rub with the one I had. <laughs> and one of the things that was always paying the neck to do was find posted crude prices uh, oh. quickly. Um, and so I went to, I was trading crude on the side and went to a guy I traded crude with at Exxon and another one at Amico. And I knew just enough visual basic to be dangerous um, and said, if I track all the posted crude prices and put them into a file every night, will you pay me? And they said, sure. And, nice. you know, like I said, I'd love to tell you that was some brilliant idea or something, but it turned out everybody in the industry had kind of an admin type dialing these 800 numbers to listen to recordings to get 1,100 different posted prices every day. And so I put them into a Lotus one, two, three spreadsheet and got up, listened to recordings in the morning. This is right after I moved to Austin, drove to Houston, made sales calls. And uh, within about a year and a half, I, I priced it way too low, which I, some people say I still have a habit of doing that. Heard that. But, <laughs> so <laughs> it's, uh, but, but we, we locked up the market and, and so as technology improved, everybody realized that they were paying me to aggregate all the prices. And a lot of them were producing these prices. So they're like, well, we'll just send you an electronic file so that you don't have to listen to our recording. And so that exact model is what I've now, you know, basically cookie cuttered across 30 or 40 different processes, whether it be gas balancing statements, royalty checks, production data, whatever. And, um, so the, that, that's kind of it. And here we are, I started PDS 32 years ago and the model itself has not changed. Obviously the technology has changed a lot. And, uh, we did the sale of the accounting assets three years ago, but, um, that, you know, that's about it. Wow. So I don't know when you got your degree, but I, I uh, used to work with a lady who, Came out of uh, Stephen F. Austin with a geology degree in 1986, and she was a uh, she started her own bakery in Blanco, Texas. And everyone always asked her, "So, why did you start a bakery with a degree in geology?" And she would just say, "I graduated with a degree in geology in 1986. That's what you did. You opened a bakery. <laughs> so I guess you traded crude." <laughs> well, yeah. Eventually, I got there, but. Uh, yeah, no, that, that, like I say, those, those were in high demand back then. That's so it's taken, you know, the, the PDS story has taken a lot of turns over the years. Obviously nowadays with Google, you can go get prices pretty much anytime you want and download them anytime you want. So 
it's been pretty impressive. You've obviously been able to pivot with the market and, you know, stay in the same general area, exchanging information, but, you know, corner new parts of that all along the way. Has that been intentional or just out of necessity? Uh, no, I'll go back to the dumb luck thing. So really, and, and that's one thing. I mean, I, I Kevin, it, it's he, I can't tell you how much, I mean, I can list you know, a bunch of people that I owe a lot to, but Kevin is one of them because very early on, he got us going down the path of uh, handling proprietary data. And so, whereas posted prices, you could get them and give them to anyone, um, production data, when it came to dailies, when we first started moving daily production data, most of the people I went into said, forget it. We don't give anybody our dailies. And what we found out was, yes, they did. You know, somebody, you know, from the cult of mines or somewhere, they would know a buddy at a buddy, you know, who had a buddy and they would exchange emails of these things back and forth. And so Chesapeake and Anadarko and a few others finally acknowledged that and said, you know, we'd, we'd rather have one central place to where we send all of our data and we know that we've got control to, as to who has access to it. And so fast forward, uh, you know, things like check detail, all of that is extremely proprietary and private mm -hmm. information. And so the one thing that, you know, the reason we kind of, I, I, I use the term fly under the radar, um, other people will tell you I'm a horrible marketer is that, it, you know, I don't, everything's proprietary data. I can't just sell it to people. And we get people approaching us all the time who want to buy information. But, you know, mm -hmm. unless XYZ oil company tells me that I can give you their data, I'm not going to give you their data. And we've done that for 32 years. And so being able, you know, and we're behind the proverbial firewall at, you know, most of these companies for 20 plus years, so they they know that I'm going to protect their data, and so that's that's kind of the the slight pivot on the same model is now everything we deal with to a large degree is proprietary. Now, once you hit the data filing with state agencies, like for monthly data, um, most of our clients really don't care what we do with it at that point, yep. but. Um, We've never really pursued that market, even though I think there is a market there because, you know, obviously the big guys who sell production data and now like John Farrell is basically giving it away. Um, our data is obviously a whole lot fresher than that. So. Oh, yeah. I mean, when, once people get their hand, at least from what Kevin tells me, and, and he sort of ran me through the Chesapeake site without going you know, behind the firewall and said, so this is actually what Barry's doing. And I had no idea, right? I, I had sort of viewed you as a competitor to Red Dog, which was helping provide some of that you know, joint interest uh, payment data right, and cost data to uh, operators and, and partners. But as he jumped into it, it sounds like a lot more. You're doing daily production. You're doing monthly production. You're, you're, laying around, you're layering on field estimates uh, as well as accounting data. So as he started explaining it, I'm like, this is really the holy grail. And of course, the key is, yes, you can get your public data from IHS or Drilling Info or even some free data sources, as, as you'd mentioned. 
But the, the value is you're doing this with basically real-time information. Um, how many people at a company like a Chesapeake or Anadarko are accessing your portal, your data on a, a daily basis? Well, so production data, typically that's a raw data flow and that will go into their production accounting system or some other reporting system. But like our well data now, um, Anadarko got to a point to where essentially we, we, we use the term structured and unstructured data. Anadarko is an open well shop and that's where they keep their structured well data. But everything else is in our environment. So if you're an Anadarko or sorry, now Oxy, but if you're if you were an employee there and we had when that switched, we had like 600 Anadarko employees who were using that. So if they wanted to see a log or a right. survey or anything on their wells, but but kind of the key we've got there is that we've got all the non-op data. So like in XTO's case, who's one of our larger well data clients, we've got 26,000 of their operated wells. We're opening over 100,000 emails to their non-op inbox every month and processing those, renaming them, loading in there. And, you know, 27,000 OBO wells. So whether it's operated or non-op, all of that information is sitting there in that PDS well data exchange environment. Um, and we load it up. Basically it, it happens every day. So we're, we're tapping, you know, ABC's well view. And instead of pulling PDFs or drilling reports, we're actually pulling that data out on a live basis, syncing it into our master well data and then loading it up. Um, which, you know, it, it's, it's funny, the, the AI and BI applications that everybody is using right now, their operated data, yeah, they're able to get that near, you know, same day and utilize that, but they're still using 90 and 120-day-old data from their OBO interest when they could be having that same day. So if they're getting good returns out of those AI and BI applications, you know, using their operated data, why not double the amount of data and get an even better return? Sure. So I'm looking at your website right now and I see that, you know, I was up on the blog here and I see that uh, what sh you guys announced shared in production, joined production data exchange or uh, energy exchange on, you know, August or whatever. So is the primary value to a Sheridan or to any of the companies that are signing up right now, is it access to the OBO data or is it, being able to uh, shorten their, you know, they have to send out to their partners. So is the value to them joining that to get data or to be able to streamline the distribution of data to their partners? It's both. both. And, yeah. and yeah, people have different burning platforms. You, you know, somebody will call us with their hair on fire because they can't satisfy all the partner demands under the JOA obligations to deliver surveys or logs or production data. So we, we have a ready, to, you know, we can turn that on in a matter of a day or two. And then the flip side to that is we accumulate all of their non-ops. So like in Kevin's case, he had, and I don't want to exaggerate, but I, I would guess at one point when we started, he had 10 people who were just calling their third-party operators, bugging them to get dailies so that mm. his accrual, and, you know, 
it's pretty widely known. I mean, he, he had the best accruals out there and because he was on top of this. Well, all of a sudden now we could come in and give him 60 to 70 percent of his OBO production dailies every day and in a single format. And so he, I mean, he was, we used the term repurpose. He was able to repurpose a whole lot of those employees instead of calling, collecting everything from a spreadsheet down to a cocktail napkin with non-op production data on it to actually being analyst instead of just driving people crazy. So. And this was a time when Chesapeake was, was just going gangbusters, right? A, a lot of different basins, probably, like you said, I don't know, 10,000 plus different non-op partners, people that are looking for data, people that you need to get data from, right? Handling a lot from a technology standpoint, have you shifted more toward like a cloud type environment from on-premise? I mean, certainly it started with, you know, just a a paper and and then maybe more to spreadsheets, but how have you evolved uh, technology-wise? Yeah, it, it all has been switched over to an Azure platform. And so, you know, all the, and you're going to get me talking about stuff I don't even understand, but um, <laughs> perfect. Yeah. They, you know, it, it all comes in there. And the, and the beauty there also is that, you know, all, you know, ABC oil company has to do is go set up their own Azure environment and I sync it every night to them. So they're in complete control of their data. Yeah, you don't have to worry about uh, confusing people. You already dropped a Lotus one two three on somebody. So. <laughs> you also uh, mentioned a one eight hundred number. I don't know if people even know what that is. Tim, for our younger audience. <laughs> Wait, well, uh, hey, so, so Barry, you were PDS was founded in ninety one, according to the website. Of course, on my LinkedIn research, I saw you you have a nineteen ninety reference. But by my count, I did this just before the show. There's been about five, maybe six downturns, depending upon oil versus gas in that time frame, and I'm looking at the the uh, blog of new clients signing up, seems like the position that PDS has now, it seems like you're a little bit insulated, if not even get more business as a result of uh, a downturn like this, where people are shrinking the numbers and having to ex- still exchange the same information. Comment on how PDS is in these downturns. How does it differ from, say, a traditional and gas company or technology vendor? Well, I, I tell people that where we, where we tend to see movement over the last 30 years is in what I term as the shoulder months, because when things are rocking and rolling, everybody's fat, dumb, and happy, and you try and save them money or saving an employee, and they just hang up on you. They don't, they don't care. They're making so much money. How can you question how I'm doing things when we're doing so well? And then when they're dead broke, nobody's there because they're all pulling the George Costanza hiding under the desk to avoid getting laid <laughs> off. And nobody. <laughs> so now, believe it or not, and I hate to call this too early, but we're actually starting to see just in the last few weeks, a fair amount of activity that kind of makes me believe that we're coming into that shoulder tick. I don't, I don't think it's ever going to go back to where it was. Um, sorry to sound like Debbie Downer, but um, I really think that, you know, we've seen the highest high, if you will, 
but I think it'll come back and it'll be fine. And, and it'll probably, I think my, my ultimate hope is that it turns into a healthy industry one day. Um, cause it sure hasn't been for 30 years. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, I, we're, we're starting to see movement right now, which, which is great. Um, I, I think that's a good sign. Well, that's, you and know, you've been, the company's been around since 1991. I'm amazed that you guys have stayed, you've been a successful company, you've been around for however many years that is, and you've stayed independent. You you haven't been sucked into Enverus or IHS or, you know, name, a, name an organization. That has to be by design on your part, but you know, it's amazing you've been able to stay independent for that long. Uh, ha- has that been hard to resist, you know, joining in with someone bigger or is that by design, you're just going to stay independent? Oh boy. That's, that's a hard one. Um, <laughs> I mean, back, put, put me on the spot. back in the day, you know, I, I toyed around with writing business plans and going to raise money because I was so broke and eventually I just realized that the pain and sacrifice of, of doing that, um, if I just put the effort into going and knocking on doors at the end of the day, it, it kind of produced the same thing. I had no debt. I had, you know, when, when things were in a downturn, I mean, like I say, no debt, no investors or anything else. And so I didn't really have any pressure there. Um, you know, I can tell you that, uh, a lot of the, the P and VC guys um, don't think a lot of me just from an intelligence standpoint that I haven't done that. But <laughs> don't uh, worry. They don't think highly of Tim and I either. So it's fine. Yeah. It's um, but yeah, I mean, you know, it's the same thing as we, we require no contracts. I mean, we've got contracts because all the big guys want to have them and they're, they're totally confused when I tell them that, yes, I'll, I'll, obligate myself to whatever you want me to but you know if we stop performing you can kick us to the curb tomorrow and uh we've we've always operated that way and you know it's uh we've never had you know we've had people leave because of bankruptcies and m&a activity but nobody's ever gotten mad and left yeah Yeah, that's very impressive that's always been, I think, you know, we mentioned Corey Scott before, good good friend of ours, came on the podcast not too long ago, a, a big fan of uh, Provincetown, Massachusetts, I believe. But Corey, um, Corey, Corey made reference to that, right? You guys had competed for a number of years with your, your PDS product and their uh, Jiblank product. And he said, you know, the thing with PDS is that once somebody gets on with them, they really don't leave. Like maybe you said you're not the greatest marketer in the world. Sure. But one thing I have to give you credit for is the ability to maintain a client for 25 plus years. That's no small feat in this industry where uh, people like myself and even Tim to a smaller extent are tasked with ripping out older technology and replacing it with the hot new stuff, which we have can you talk about some of the challenges despite the ups and downs of the industry in chapter 11s, but how have you been able to maintain a happy customer base for 25 plus years? What's the well, secret? Well, you know, another thing that, that these guys all think I'm a complete moron is I, I don't raise prices. We, we grow through growing the business and we've actually had some of our bigger guys who have, um, I'll tell you my funniest contract negotiation was a large bank who 
we, and this is part of the business we sold, but we, um, our competitor was selling this data at 10 cents a line and we sold it for four cents a line. And we, you know, drove them nuts. And finally they called up and said, okay, we're going to give you some business, but you have to deal with our procurement department. And I was going, oh boy, here we go. So we go through this entire process and the guy goes, we, I'm not talking commercial terms with you until we get the entire agreement hammered out. I said, fine. So we go through this whole thing and he calls me up and he goes, okay, now I have to tell you, we're not willing to pay anything more than seven cents a line for this data. And I said, hmm. <laughs> okay, that was really, and so forever they paid almost twice what every other customer did because he was such an ace negotiator. And <laughs> That's why they paid him uh, the big bucks. <laughs> yeah, to quote yeah. Uh, one of uh, Jeremy and I's former bosses, Boyd Russell, he used to say, you keep or lose your customers the same way you got them. So if you got them on price, someone's going to come and beat you on price eventually. Or if you got them because of great customer service, you're going to lose them that way. Or unless you, you have to, you always have to keep that up or you're going to lose them that same way that you got them. Um, sounds like you've kind of got that model built. You know, you're not raising prices on people at every chance you get or, Obviously, your service is good because if you fail once or twice, you're going to lose that customer. So it's it's a testament to to what you built. Yeah, and I, and and this is not good, better, otherwise as as to to Corey and his. I mean, I, I think the world of Ian, who he went to work for, and oh, yeah. that's more who who I dealt with. But um, even you know before Ian even moved down to the states. They looked at that market, and this is the way a lot of companies and, and similar spaces to ours look at it. Is they were going, okay, the average company by the time is all in, they're spending ten dollars per jib processing that, and so they came out and said, well, we're going to charge five dollars. And I looked at that and said, my cost is only about twenty cents. I'll charge fifty cents. <laughs> they're like, well, you're an idiot. I mean, people are paying ten; they should sign up five all day. Well, I can tell you, and, and Ian can probably back me up on this. They spent years with, I, I would run into Dave Howden and, and he, it was like he was running his forehead into a wall because it wouldn't move. And then finally they did. And, and so I think at the end of the day, he probably came out better with his model than my model. But boy, he, man, it was a long runway for them doing that. And now with the price points that they've got, it's not going to, it's not going to be too long before, like you say, somebody comes in and tries to compete with them. Whereas at our price points, nobody's, it's not going to generate a big appetite to where somebody's going to come drop a bunch of development costs to try and compete with what we do. Yeah. So on the, on the data side, do you do visualizations or do you leave the kind of, you know, the, the, the beautification, the BI, the reporting to the end user and they slap your data, you know, on a power BI or spot fire? How does that work? Or do you kind of create those visualizations for your clients? We, so like with the well data, we, we host, uh, we, we've got the platform that holds all these PDFs, like save logs, surveys, plats, permits, all that kind of stuff. But in terms of the analytics, 
Um, I, I've, I've never been able to move fast enough, nor been able to get my wallet out of my pocket in a big enough way to go chase those. And, and the rate of change, by the time Barry went and developed some really neat product, it'd be, you know, two generations old. And so we provide that underlying data and let all those guys who have that cool, sexy software fight it out. And it just like we feed the data. So our stuff is in, in most cases just raw data. It's, you know, we let Wellview and Open Wells and Wellies just hammer it out in the trenches with mm -hmm. their high dollar stuff. But we're moving the underlying data around. Really powerful. Feed it all. That's so you've you located the company in Austin, which I'm envious of. I'd love yep. to have started something in Austin. And now in, and Jeremy said it real fast going by. And now you've uh, you've summered in Nantucket. Uh, I'm beginning. I'm pretty. I mean, we've already had Susan Clad on here who had to go to Santa Barbara to go to uh, go to work every once in a while. Brutal. Sounds like you've got the best of both worlds here, Austin and Nantucket. Well, I, you know, I'm, I'm very blessed. I mean, it, I don't think it's any big secret that we did that sale three years ago. Sure. And um, one of the things that my wife and I have always loved coming up here and we've got four kids in their 20s and, you know, now it's uh, it's just it's a, it's a good family spot. And like I say, I feel very fortunate to do it. It's it's silliness. And, you know, who, who knows how long that'll go for all of a sudden grandkids and everything else change the world. But um, it's fun. Yeah. You know, they don't they don't let me on Nantucket. They stick me on Martha's Vineyard with the rest of the poor people. I'm just kidding. Certainly, uh, certainly not. You ever heard any good poems up there? <laughs> Man, I, so no, right. the question that I wanted to ask, and, and Dave, you know, you know I had to do this. Do you ever see Bill Belichick? You know, he summers on Nantucket. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm thinking he's probably playing golf at a different place than the Muni I play up here. <laughs> Perhaps. And I have a question. You mentioned Martha's Vineyard, Jeremy, and Nantucket. In my head, from you know, from Houston, Texas, and having been to Martha's Vineyard once, to me, they're the same place. Is there a fundamental difference between Nantucket and Martha's Vineyard? I mean, there is there are a different asking, culture between them. Are you asking me, or are you asking Barry, who has a well, house there? Well, either one of you can answer it. It, I, is, it is night and day. Really, if for two yeah. little specks in the North Atlantic that are 11 miles apart at their closest point, they are night and day. Yep. They, wow. they really are. Between them. It, there's a rivalry, not, not only like the Thanksgiving Day football game rivalry where they take a ferry to play each other, you know, switch islands each year. Pretty cool, right? Probably wow. super cold. Uh, but it is. Martha's Vineyard is much more commercial. Uh, I think that in general, there's more people, there's more businesses. Um, Nantucket is probably a little bit more quiet, right? Maybe a little more expensive. Um, and I think people are bothered a little bit less there. But like I said, I've been to the vineyard. I haven't been to Nantucket, but, you know, maybe Barry will invite me someday. Hint, hint. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, we run camp all summer long. So, nice. it's, uh, yeah. It's it, yeah. It, it's funny though because you know everybody's perception is that you've got this this snooty group of people up here. Well, both islands will tell you 
that there is no dumpster fire like the knockdown <laughs> fights that go on at the Nantucket Martha Spanier High School football games. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I bet. I bet. Now, I, I remember some some beautiful days, like the on the vineyard at least. I think I must have been about 20 uh, a long time ago. And, and uh, riding my bike, you can basically ride your bike and see the entire island in a day, and, and Nantucket is no different. But those were some some great memories, and certainly – it gets really cold in the winter. Do you, do you ever spend time up there in the winter? Or do you kind of shut it down October and then go back in May? No, we, we come and go quite a bit. Um, it's, you know, uh, our kids like to come up here for Thanksgiving and Christmas and it's fun cause it's just dead. And we've, we've yeah. actually got pictures from January of 18 to where they're walking out in the Harbor where it's frozen solid. Wow. Uh, wow. So yeah, it's, I mean, like I say, it's just something new. It's, it's, it's fun for us. So. Well, congratulations. And I, I mean, I, I mean that, and not just for the fact that you earned that place in Nantucket, but for the, the value that you've provided to this industry, you know, to go back in, in my career, it was a lot of visualization, sort of what Tim's company OVS does today, pulling data sets together, creating those visuals, but, but those visuals are worthless without great data, right? So, People like myself and Tim have a strong appreciation for people who can aggregate that data, put it in a format that then we can create those pretty pictures and all that sexy software. So kudos to you for that. You know, congrats on the place in Nantucket. And Tim's got something for you before we go. Yeah. And I just wanted to kind of echo what what Jeremy was saying. But to me, it's the the stick to itiveness. I know that's not a real word, but I've heard it before of, hey, I've got this idea. I'm going to run it down. I'm going to make it work. And I'm going to keep making new things work along the way and find a model that, that quite, it just works. And you've done it to a point where you've, you've got a fence around it. So that it's hard for anyone to come in and, and take it out. It's, it's a great uh, company that you built a testament to your vision and uh, the lack, lack of vision of all those PE guys that don't like you. <laughs> well, very kind. Um, yeah, I want to, Tim, I want to talk to you about this, uh, what Jerry, Jeremy refers to as your worthless software without my data. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, in my research, in my research this week, I was thinking, man, we should be, uh, I should be figuring out how to get on this well data exchange somehow with my clients. So I, I will be talking to you about it. Well, I hope we, we, we would always welcome the opportunity. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's funny, I, you know. Like I say, I, I'm not a very good marketer, but once somebody sees it, they typically get it and um, we can usually bring some value. But no, um, always love a good opportunity. You know, Barry, you, you may not be the best marketer, but I'm going to throw this out there as a word of caution for anybody who wants to compete with PDS. Just remember, you come at the king. You best not miss. <laughs> 